0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'm here for an hour of hopefully entertainment, maybe a little education, possibly a little humor. So I did want to just, I mean, it's boring to most people unless you're in business. Some of you might be retired, uh, but they have done quite a few things in this CARES Act, which is to help businesses and taxpayers through the coronavirus. The good thing about it is they've actually changed IRS rules inside of it. So some of the things that needed to be done to help people are virtually just IRS tax law being changed by this CARES Act. And some of it has really helped some of my clients. I'm sure a good cross-section of businesses are going to find this to be very helpful One of the interesting things that happened, the 2018 tax law just was signed into law at the end of 2017. So this is only two years that the new law came into effect. It had a few major changes that hurt a few of my clients. One of them was, there's a thing called a net operating loss. If you have a bad year where you have a big loss in your business, if your total income ends up being negative, you may have what's called a net operating loss. It's very complicated to calculate. You don't want to just think you've got one because you've seen a negative number on your return. But if you do have an overall net operating loss before the 2018 tax law, those could be carried back to a prior year and you could immediately get refunds of old year's taxes based on your current net operating loss. It's called an NOL a current NOL could immediately be used to amend an old tax return and get money back. I think I've mentioned this bef- uh, before on business buzz. That was always a good thing because the option back then in the old law was you could carry it back. But if you didn't have a good year to carry it back to, you could elect to just carry it forward and not have to carry it back. The new cares act has brought back the care, uh, the carry back was disallowed in the 2018 tax law. I didn't want to skip over that. So no longer could you take a loss in 18 or 19 and use it to carry back. You had to carry forward only. And you could only offset 80% of the income. You couldn't use the entire NOL. It was a weird thing they did in the 2018. I don't want to get too technical here, but the bottom line is the new CARES Act has brought back the carry back of NOLs They go five years back, and the one client that was hurt the most with the 2018 tax law of mine for the NOL rule that I just talked about, we had a plan when this corporation sold a big chunk of their business for a giant gain. They had a big income year five years ago. The plan was to keep the corporation going and generate some net operating losses sometimes that could be used to carry back to get back some of that tax. The real interesting thing is with this new law, a current year NOL, which they've generated is going to get to be carried five years back to the big year where they were in a, get this, a 39% federal corporate tax bracket. The 2018 tax law made the top corporation tax bracket 21%. That was the biggest tax break of all. In the year of 2015 that I'm looking at for this client of mine who needs this NOL carryback to be used, the rate in 2015 that they were in, in the year they sold a bunch of assets, is 39% federal and I'll call it 9% state. It's real close. They're going to get a 48% tax refund. I have yet to see whether California has agreed to this five-year back thing. I'm hoping they do for the sake of this client, but I don't know. And I'm looking that up currently. I'm just in the process of looking up all these new law effects. Most of the good things that have happened lately with the coronavirus tax things, like the deadline being moved from April to July, California has gone along with all of those pretty much lockstep with the federal. I'm hoping they're going to do that with this CARES Act NOL carryback. I really don't know yet because I just haven't had time to look it up. And maybe they haven't made up their mind yet on that. Sometimes it takes them a few weeks to decide to announce which provisions of IRS changes the state's going to go along with. So it's very difficult to know that right away, but I I just haven't had time to look it up. I don't want to bore you with technical tax things, but this CARES Act does have a lot of things in it that's going to help a lot of people, especially people who had to shut businesses down, and now they've got a lot of losses being generated in this tax year of 2020. Very interesting for the tax business because now the taxes – like I told you, when they did the 2018 tax law, that was the first major renovation of income tax theory. And it really wasn't as major as it was in 1986. But 1986 was the last giant tax change. And of course, I've been doing taxes since 1980 when I graduated from college. And in 2018, at that point, I had said this is the biggest tax change since 86, but it wasn't as. Radical is the 86 change. It wasn't a big radical change in 2018 for theory, but it was a radical change for tax rates. The tax rates went down for almost everyone. So it was a different kind of tax change, but it was pretty radical, and it did help a lot of people. The problem is now two years on, they're reversing a bunch of parts of that, and this CARES Act, which is related to coronavirus, is reversing a lot of the things that the 2018 law, actually it's reversing the bad things out of the 2018 law so far from what I'm reading and I'm trying to learn it as much as I can. Uh, Of course I have to know it for all my business clients and with everything due July 15, it's kind of nice. We've got a couple months to really learn all this and make sure we've got it dialed in to get them all the tax savings they're entitled to. Just very complicated. It's not, it's not getting any easier. I'm not getting any younger, but I do enjoy I enjoy the business. I don't enjoy the day-to-day stress part of the business because having a lot of clients, you'll have a client every day that has something going on. Now with all the coronavirus things, I've got all these clients that have to try to get loans and grants and they're trying to apply for things, and I'm the one they call because I'm the only person they know that can answer questions like, well, what was my gross income and what was my income last year. I'm the one they, I'm the one they need to go to. So uh, it makes it tough when you, that's the bad, that's the downside of having a lot of tax clients. You get something every day that you have to help someone with. It's just the nature of the business, but the older a preparer like me gets, the less you enjoy that part of it. But, but I'm fine with it. It's, it's not that bad. So, I had all these great ideas for today's show a few days ago and I just I didn't quite put it together that way because number 1 I don't want to I don't want to be a downer but a lot of things lately have really been kind of kind of getting to me and I'm sort of ready to have part of the show today just be a little bit of a complaining get it off my shoulders session I hope you don't mind I think I think you'll find it entertaining I enjoy kind of putting it together in my mind but what my main what my main thing is and last week I mentioned the bill gates covid-19 billions of dollars to dr fauci and the agency and i am starting to label everything i see as fake i'm not and i'm i'm not i'm not it's not that one-sided political thing because until i see some real activity as far as I'm concerned, Trump might be a fake. I don't. I won't know until I see the results of his uh, Durham investigation that has been in the works now, and they're supposed to have indictments coming soon. Until I see that, I think he might be a fake too. I'm not picking sides here. I'm just saying everything I see is fake. I'm just going to start with a little list. I was in the store today before I came over here, And there was a Time magazine about Princess Diana, and that uh, again occurred to me as being fake. Um, I've studied, and this is pre, this is, well, no, it's not pre-internet, because she died in 97, I believe, and internet kind of started for me around 95, 94, 95. It technically probably started in the early 90s. I just remember that I signed up for eBay in 98 and I signed up for AOL in 94 or 5, something like that. I can't remember exactly. So Princess Diana died in 97, so it wasn't pre-internet, but it was pre-interesting places to read lots of stuff like it is now. And that whole thing was fake. I read everything I could when she died. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details. You may have heard them somewhere else. You could easily look them up on the internet and read about conspiracy theories, which they still call them. And when I do a search, I do use the search engine called DuckDuckGo. They don't follow you, and they just seem to bring up better search results. But if you want to search Princess Diana at all, you'll see that she was dating Doty Fayed, who was an Arab guy whose dad owned Herod's department store and she was maybe pregnant and oh, what are some of the other things? I know she they ended up hitting the 13th pillar under the under the tunnel, and I did also read that that tunnel was over a former sacred uh, religious site from like two thousand years ago. I can't remember all the details. Oh, and the other classic that always happens, in fact, it happened on 9-11, and it happened on Diana's death night. All the security cameras were out. None of them were operating that night. And if you look at the strange coincidence, oh, and Jeffrey Epstein's death a couple, a few months ago, same thing, all the security cameras malfunctioned uh, at that particular time. So whenever you see a situation where all the security cameras malfunctioned, you can pretty much bet that there's something, there's some shenanigans going on. So Princess Diana, when I saw that magazine today, that reminded me again of fake, fake, fake. Uh, there's some other things that are fake that have come up lately. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I talked about it last week, is this whole coronavirus. Uh, I've tried to get some, tried to get some articles here. Let me see if I can find something here to look at. Uh, let me see. Well, there was, and I'm, I'm try to look this up for, for the other side of the break, the, um, I think I talked last week a lot about that c- coronavirus. So I don't want to get I don't want to get too ahead of it, but uh, oh, the other fake. Oh, a fake thing came out today. Remember Stormy Daniels, the one who, her her and her lawyer Avenatti, who has since, I believe, is headed to prison, she accused Trump of having an affair or something to that effect. I believe she came out today and said none of that was true. Now, I don't know what the details are, but again, we have another, we have something else that's fake. Uh, let me see, what else is fake? Hmm. Well, I've got some real news after the first break uh, about the truth. It's going to be an article about the the true nature of the gold and silver price, which we always like to talk about on Business Buzz. Uh, Another thing that's fake is the whole law enforcement system is fake. Most policemen and everything, I know they do a good job, but at the highest levels, they seem to always overlook major things. One of the problems they had was if anybody wants to look up something called the Wiener laptop, it's a dirty story. But 12 of the 12 people who have seen the contents of the Wiener laptop, nine have died. And that tells me that there's something fake about the whole law enforcement system if these things have to be covered up that badly. I won't go into detail because this is a family show. But if you're interested in some real weird stuff, you can look up the Wiener laptop and just read about uh, the fact that nine of the 12 people who have seen the contents of that are now dead. Oh, the other interesting death situation, I'll get back to this after the first break. I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned.
1: In just a few short weeks. If there is one thing COVID-19 has taught us, is good hygiene. Wash your hands more often and wipe down frequently touched surfaces. Unfortunately, we also face another problem that has been around us since, well, time itself. Rodents. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-in Pest Free. Rodents usually carry diseases with them we do not want around us. Treating the problem the old-fashioned way with baits and traps only causes the problem to continue. Baits invite rodents in when you really should be trying to keep them out. So how do we keep them out? With Plug-In Pest Free, an electromagnetic device that utilizes the electrical wiring in your home to set up a no-go zone. Now that's fair income. Look us up today at gopestfree.com. Use promo code PEST20 for 20% off. That's gopestfree.com, promo code PEST20. Don't spray and regret, plug in and forget.
2: In this age of ear-tickling, where are we to turn to hear the Word? This is Pastor Greg Lundstedt from Equipping the Saints Radio, and I would like to invite you to tune in to Equipping the
0: Saints to hear the uncompromising preaching and teaching of God's Word on this station. Look us up on the web at www.etsradio.org. We look
2: forward to our time in the Word together. KKXX brings you Equipping the Saints with Pastor Greg Lundsted weeknights at 6.30 here on KKXX.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you have a chance to spend part of your day with me. I'm sure you're, even though you might be homebound during this lockdown, you're probably busy with lots of things. A lot of people are working from home. I'm lucky enough to be in an essential service so I can continue to work from my office. If I had to work from home, I probably could, but I wouldn't get as much done. I never do that well trying to work from home when I've tried in the past, so I really don't do it. So I was talking about fake law enforcement, and I don't mean to knock, uh, you know, the guys on the street and the real guys, but it seems like the sometimes at the top they really aren't paying attention. I heard a really interesting interview the other day from a guy. His he's a sheriff in in Arizona, I think. His name's last name's Mac, and he went all the way to the Supreme Court and won a big case back about twenty years ago. And I think you can look it up, Mac versus U.S. I don't know all of these details, but I wanted to share a real interesting website that he runs. It's called, see, and the reason I bring this up is most of the time, most of us don't have problems with our civil civil liberties being abused or taken away until this virus thing. No one ever told me I couldn't go somewhere or couldn't have a business open. Uh, Like I say, I'm luckily a, essential service so I don't have to close, but generally we're looking at a situation here where these governors are order making orders that are not constitutional. And I'm bringing this up because I've got an article here that says uh, Barr, who is the attorney general in uh, Washington, Barr tells prosecutors to watch pandemic restrictions that violate the Constitution. And he says, uh, Attorney General William Barr on Monday directed federal prosecutors to be on the lookout for public health measures put in place amid the coronavirus pandemic that might be running afoul of constitutional rights. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. You can find it on the Hill website. It just came out on April 27th. The point is, is that there's nothing in the Constitution that says, oh, and uh, if if there's a virus problem, uh, governors can shut states down and you can't do anything about it. There's nothing that says that. Even if a law was passed in the state legislature, which it hasn't been, that still would have to pass the test of constitutionality. I have a law degree. I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on television. But I do remember in school, my my favorite course was constitutional law. That is it's very interesting. The bottom line is nothing, no law can you know, go against the constitution. And when a governor tells churches they can't hold church, even with cars in the parking lot with rolled up windows, but two, two, uh, two blocks away, there's a drive-through restaurant serving food to people that is not constitutional. And that's the type of thing that this attorney general letter is talking about. You can't, disregard the Constitution just because there's a, quote, medical emergency. Now, the other thing I want to say, and you can, you know, don't take your mask off because of what Harold Littlejohn said, but in my opinion, this is a hoax. And uh, I'm, I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I'm not a doctor. I've read a lot of stuff. Uh, there may be a flu virus going around that's nasty, but based on all the numbers, in my opinion, this is a hoax. So, I mean, you know, it's like, like sue me, I really don't care. that's my opinion, and I'm tired of getting dirty looks at Safeway from people with masks when I'm not wearing one i'm sorry i don't I really don't appreciate that, like I say, take me to court if I'm causing you trouble, but I do not buy into this whole thing. So what it is is this sheriff named Mac has a thing called the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, and what he was saying in this interview was, you know it's astounding. We have all of these police and sheriff all over the country that have sworn their, their oath that they swear to when they get their job is to obey the Constitution. But as soon as their governor issues these orders to arrest people trying to go to church, here's the, here's the police and sheriffs out there doing it. Uh, that's what this guy's talking about. It's called the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. It's kind of like Nazi Germany. Remember the Nuremberg Trials? Following orders was not a defense. If you were a colonel or a captain or some med- medium-sized officer in the German army and you your defense was you were just following orders when you killed a million people, that is not a defense. And the same thing goes for policemen. If you're a police officer, you have to follow the Constitution. And uh, for them to willy-nilly follow these governors that don't even have the legal... They don't even have the legal authority to do what they're trying to do. They can recommend all day long, kind of like what the federal, they've recommended the distancing, recommended the 10 people or less. That's all recommendations, but there's no law against having a meeting right now. So I just want to introduce you to this place called Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, CSPOA. Hopefully, Sheriff Honea, Honea, can't remember his name, but he was pretty famous during the fires because he was on TV every night. It turns out that sheriffs are not beholden to anyone but the people who elect them. And that's what this guy's point was in this interview, this guy named Mac, And uh, so I'm just going to read a little bit from his website. This uh, It's called cspoa.org. It says, Throughout America, law enforcement agencies have a slogan that defines the primary function of the agency. The slogan, which has been used for decades, yet which has been removed from the door of many police agency patrol vehicles is to protect and to serve. We need to take a long, hard look at the meaning of this slogan and make sure that our individual and collective philosophy, as well as our individual attitude and behavior, reflects this worthy objective. Peace officers have a tougher job today than 20 years ago. Society seems to be polarized into two camps. One loves the police and the other hates us. It may be partially due to the fact that some peace officers and some training modules seem to foster the belief that we are somehow better than the people we serve. This can lead to a badge-heavy attitude and sometimes to the excessive use of force. This must not continue. We must eliminate any training or behavior that tarnishes the badge, including the code of silence. So it goes on to talk about the founding fathers and the British law and the constitutional rights. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go to cspoa.org. And uh, they have an about page. That's what I was reading from. But I thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, I thought the same thing because the county in Mississippi that arrested all of the churchgoers that went in their cars like a, you know, kind of like a drive-in theater idea, uh, that whole fine, they all got fined $1,500 each for being there. While two blocks away, uh, some fast food place was serving people driving through. Uh, That was determined to be unconstitutional. And they had to rescind those um, those fines that they were giving those people. So that that's good news that somebody caught on to that. But the main point is, is that don't forget that any recommendation some governor makes, that's all it is. It's a recommendation. And if he tries to pass a state law, that state law that we would then be subject to would have to be constitutional. So if he if they pass a state law that says, if you're a bar owner, you can't open your business for 90 days, that probably would not pass muster as the as a constitutional law because uh, at the same time you've got uh, you know grocery stores serving people and they're not closed. Uh, so it just the whole thing's messy, but it's kind of true. Okay, I, I'm going to try to get back to the subject of fake just to get it off my chest if you don't mind. Uh, how about, let me see, fake, I'd say diversionary tactics, fake. Does anybody remember something called the Podesta emails? It happened in October of 2016. The thing about that is the people who complained that when WikiLeaks released those, the people who complained about it just kept saying, Oh, those are Those are private. Uh, You shouldn't read them. That shouldn't have been released. But they diverted away from the fact that nobody mentioned what was in the emails to be read. Not only did it demonstrate the absolute farcical nature of the pay-for-play government that we're living under, but it also, and I'm not going to get into detail because it's a family show. Well, perfect timing. I'll be right back after the break to do a little more complaining. I'll be right back on Business Buzz.
1: This message reaches a million people or more every week. Spreading the gospel is more than one voice speaking to a million. It is is and must continue to be a million voices, each speaking to
0: one, pointing them to our friend Jesus. The Lutheran Hour with Dr.
2: Michael Ziegler. The Lutheran Hour, Saturday and Sunday at 1.30, here on KKXX.
1: America, bless God. Fellow Americans, your hearing this admonition establishes that you are one who cares for the America that has been so blessed by Almighty God. We implore you to embrace the laws of nature and of nature's God, to read and know the Constitution. Join with other moral and religious people and organizations to foster the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. America, bless God.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm getting things off my chest today a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but I was talking about diversionary media making you look one way and not looking the other way. And I'll just tell you that if you're interested and you want to really find out what is really going on with this world, just look up the Wiener Laptop. Uh, and I would definitely recommend going to a place called Fulcrum News. F U L C R U M N E W S FulcrumNews.com. He has a blog, and he is the number one. He's the number one guy on that topic, and is he's so good at it that they banned him on YouTube and Twitter. They just shut down his account. So when you see places like YouTube, which is owned by Google, when you see them shutting down people's accounts. Those are the people you want to go read their their other website because uh, there's a reason they're shutting those guys down, and they're shutting them down because they do not want you to hear what these guys have uncovered and what they're uh, studying. They don't want you to hear it. So that's a, that's actually the best way to make a list of best way to make a list of websites to read is to find out all the guys who have been uh, banned by Twitter and YouTube and then go over to their websites and start reading the things they say, and, the re- and that'll tell you why they've been banned. And the reason they've been banned is they do not want you to learn what they are saying. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the business of medicine, because after all, the entire world's economy is being blamed, the crash is being blamed on a virus that I've told you, in my opinion, is man-made. And released on purpose, and again, that's my opinion. Don't go, don't go taking off your mask because Harold said it. I'm not a doctor, um, but I've read more than most doctors. I think on this subject, to be honest, based on the people I've talked to. So I thought I'd share a little bit more about vaccines because all of these Corona people are just hounding the fact that we've got to have a vaccine. We've got to have a vaccine but they won't listen to the hydroxychloroquine argument where there's doctors saying that that is a 100% cure for coronavirus. So again, we find that the powers that be are not looking out for people's interests; They're looking out for their own monetary interest. So I wanted to start off with a quick uh, analysis of a page I found at a, a website called learntherisk.org. And it's called, Do You Know What's in a Vaccine? It says none of these should be injected into your body. And it lists about 12. I'm going to hit a few highlights here. Aluminum, known to cause brain damage at all doses linked to Alzheimer's disease, dementia, seizures, autoimmune issues, SIDS, and cancer. This toxin accumulates in the brain and causes more damage with each dose. So that's what they're putting in vaccines. Uh, beta prop. Beta-propylactone. You can tell I'm not a doctor because I can't even read these stupid titles. Known to cause cancer, suspected gastrointestinal, liver, nerve, and respiratory, skin and sense organ poison. Uh, then there's uh, gentamycin sulfate and polymyxin B antibiotics. Allergic reactions can range from mild to life-threatening. Genetically modified yeast, animal, bacterial, and viral DNA can be incorporated into the recipient's DNA and cause unknown genetic mutations. Glutaraldehyde, poison if if ingested, causes birth defects in animals. Formaldehyde, known to cause cancer in humans, probable gastrointestinal liver, respiratory immune nerve and reproductive system poison banned from injectables in most European countries. Um, Human and animal cells, human DNAs from aborted babies, pig blood, horse blood, rabbit brains, dog kidneys. Then mercury, oh, don't forget mercury. That's the most fun part of a chemistry class is getting to play with the mercury, but you're not supposed to touch it. One of the most toxic substances known, even if a thermometer breaks, the building is cleared and hazmat is called. Tiny doses cause damage to the brain, gut, liver, bone marrow, nervous system, and or kidneys linked to autoimmune disorders and neurological disorders like autism. Uh, And it goes on and on and on. There's a few more. I'm not going to spend too much more time, but you can look that up. Just type in, do you know what's in a vaccine? And you'll probably come up on that page. Now here's the bad part of this page too. Also on page one of this, it's a one-page thing. Vaccine doses for U.S. children. In 1962, total doses were five. In 1983, total doses were I think 25. I can't read my printing's it's kind of funny. In 2016, the total doses are something like 230. The U.S. gives two to three times more vaccines than most developed countries, yet we have the sickest population, with skyrocketing rates of health issues like asthma, childhood diabetes, food allergies, leukemia, developmental delays, ADHD, autism, lupus, arthritis, eczema, epilepsy, brain tumors, Alzheimer's, and it's not a coincidence. In 1986, pharmaceutical manufacturers produced, this is the business portion of this, in 1986, pharmaceutical manufacturers producing vaccines were freed from all liability resulting from vaccine injury or death by the Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. With this, vaccines became highly profitable. There are 271 vaccines in development and mandatory vaccine laws for children and adults being pushed in most states. And I got a few other factoids here for, uh, for the undeniable vaccination facts. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court ruled vaccines unavoidably unsafe in 2011. Unavoidably unsafe. I I didn't misspeak. According to David Kessler, former commissioner of the FDA, quote, only about 1% of serious events are reported. Those are adverse drug reactions. Relative trends in hospitalizations and mortality among infants by the number of vaccine doses and age based on vaccine adverse event reporting system. So what they're saying is probably only 1% even get reported. In 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, which removed financial liability from vaccine manufacturers and placed it on taxpayers. Oh, that's you and me. With a 75-cent tax on every vaccine given, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program has paid out over $4.1 billion for vaccine injuries and deaths since 1989. Well, yeah, but the problem is that's not their money. That's not even drug company money. That's money from this tax on all these vaccines. Uh, unbelievable. And anybody who believes this system is good, this whole medical system we've got, I, 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 I honestly feel sorry for you. Uh, then there's uh, approximately 5% of the vaccine injuries and deaths reported to uh, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System ever reach vaccine court. The majority of families are forced to carry the physical and financial burden of caring for an injured child themselves as are taxpayers via schools and Medicare. Only a fraction of the above cases ever receive payout because families are responsible to prove the vaccine caused the death or injury. While individuals may file claims for these vaccines, each petitioner must demonstrate that the vaccine that was administered caused the alleged injury. 51% of claims take 5 more or more years to adjudicate. I mean, can you believe I mean, could you imagine how much it would cost to sue a giant drug company in that vaccine court where you have to prove what happened uh, against their, you know, billions and billions of dollars of free profit. And also, have you ever noticed that most television stations like CNN are about 80% funded by drug company ads. Just take a look and just watch some TV, especially like early afternoon, uh, watch CNN or you know uh, basic network. It's like 80% of all the commercials are from drug companies. so you can obviously see how the system works. These shows probably don't even have that much viewership, but the drug companies just keep pumping in all the money to keep them to keep the networks profitable. By paying all that money for the ads, I mean, how many people see those ads and then you know get on the phone and call their doctor? You know that's ridiculous. That's not the way you do medicine. It's, the whole thing's ridiculous. So anyway, I told you today I'm getting the, I'm getting it off my shoulders today, and I apologize if I'm, uh, if I'm seeming a little bit negative. But I, like I say, anybody who believes in our medical system is uh, not. They they don't need to try to convince me because I'm I'm beyond that. And uh, of course, yeah, there's certain things I really like about it. But the entire system is just one giant money-making scam, and uh, it's not really medicine. There was also a group, I'll have to look this one up for a future show, there was a group of like 10 homeopathic uh, MDs who were going to get together and do a big uh, meeting and Share all their information about non drug treatment for all these different diseases like cancer and things. And I believe out of the 10 doctors that were doing this, eight of them are dead. Again, people just, people just, they just die after they start reporting on this stuff. So uh, after the last break, we're just going to wind down the show and probably have something kind of nice and kind of nice and mellow. But I have a real interesting article to share because gold and silver are almost unobtainable. And if you do want to buy them, the premiums have gone way up. So uh, the point of this article is that it's called The Persistent Plague of the Gold and Silver Price Illusion. Now, I told you guys that the gold-silver ratio is the thing to watch. And at one point about three weeks ago, it was up at 124 to 1. In other words, one ounce of gold would buy 124 ounces of silver. That, that's at the paper price. And I've been telling you that the paper price doesn't mean anything. Well, I'm going to come back after the break and explain what the real price ratio is and what the real gain in metals has been for the last couple months. So stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. Male
1: and female, he created them. This is Ken Ham on a mission to strengthen the global church with God's word. Now, our culture is trying to erase the distinctions of male and female. It's popular today to say that male and female don't really exist. They're social constructs, they'll say, and we can be whatever we want. But God has created us male and female. It's a truth that's obvious from biology and was well accepted until the last few years. Men can't be women and women can't be men. God created and ordained gender. We don't have the authority to redefine what God has created. Some people do struggle with this problem. So for those who do, they need the truth from God's word and the life-giving gospel. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and discover answers to the questions of our day at AnswersRadio.com. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say...
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, wrapping up another hour of, hopefully, entertainment and information. Well, I just, anyway, I had something else I wanted to say, but it slipped my mind. I'm not getting any younger. Okay, so this says, The Persistent Plague of the Gold and Silver Price Illusion. Says a few weeks ago, financial analysts, and this is from Zero Hedge, where I recommended you read your financial news. A few weeks ago, financial analysts stated that gold-silver price ratios were at record high of 125 to 1 and still continue to state that they were at 114 to 1 just a few days ago. To debunk these myths, let's look at the price of one ounce gold and silver American Eagles. Currently, physical gold is 1909 per ounce for lots less than 10. When you buy less than 10 ounces, when you buy gold American eagles and silver is 25.91 per ounce for lots of less than 100 silver American eagles. These prices produce a physical gold, physical silver price ratio of 74 to 1. This ratio, while still high, is nowhere near the ratio of 114 to 1. Quoted just a couple of days ago by a prominent, anal- prominent analyst, the 114 to 1 gold silver price ratio was derived from the irrelevant paper derivative gold and silver prices of 17.35 an ounce and 15.24 an ounce. Paper prices are completely irrelevant in the determination of these prices because I've explained in prior podcasts if you can't buy the real item at anywhere near that price, what is the point of quoting those prices as the existing condition in the gold and silver market? If you saw a house listed at 530,000 in many different digital platforms, consequently went to an open house and checked it out and was told by the owner that the price was 750, would you not be furious for the owner having wasted your time and asking quoted prices of and asking him why he would then list the home at 530? Though this scenario is exactly what is happening in the quoted prices of paper derivative gold and silver by every talking head on financial shows all over the world, and the much higher prices for physical gold and silver you will discover were you to buy real gold and silver from bullion dealers. Every analyst in the world quotes the wrong gold-silver price ratios and wrong gold-silver price performance. So here's where it gets interesting. What is further astounding is that some analysts that I have seen rail against the fraud in the gold and silver futures market pricing platform for years are the very people quoting these fraudulent gold and silver price ratios. So it says, if someone told you that gold will protect your savings and amidst the quarter one 2020 stock market crisis, it increased 11% over the first four months of the year. That's a pretty decent yield, so maybe I better listen to these people that are telling me to buy physical gold to protect me against the second phase of this global financial market crisis that is going to cause much more chaos and social upheaval than governments artificially and unnecessarily imposed around the world. Yeah, the way this guy writes, he's just kind of hard to follow. However, if someone informed you that the reported 11% year-to-date yield on gold was a lie and that the real year-to-date yield was 23%, your ears may perk up just a little bit more, and you may be a lot more interested to learn why the yield on gold has been so solid. However, keep seeking to be educated through the same mass media forms as everyone else, like the one I named above, and you will never learn the truth. Furthermore, the same information has been spread about silver's annual year-to-date yield. Uh, news Channel reported silver's year-to-date performance was at negative 17%. Uh, so, so he says um, silver prices will never come back. Every person would likely think silver prices will never come back and silver is a dead asset that one should never own. However, where one have been buying physical silver all along, and that's what I've been telling you guys, then one would understand that given the price of one ounce silver American Eagles per ounce for lots of less than 100 ounces, twenty-five ninety-one now, and the price at the start of the year was about $22 per ounce, so then the prices have actually risen by about 20% versus the reported 17% drop. So if you see where he's going with that, uh, that's what I was telling you. Uh, it says that the silver price, if you look it up on the, on the fake uh, paper silver place, Comex, the, the marketplace, they say it's $15 an ounce. But you can't buy any for less than almost 20 an ounce of the cheap stuff and 25 for the good stuff, which is the American Silver Eagle. What point is it? What this guy is saying is, what point is it to list a price of fifteen when no one's selling silver for fifteen, and no one's selling gold for seventeen hundred? Ask anybody you know that holds some gold, uh, and unless they're you know ready to lose their house because they have to make a mortgage payment, they are not going to sell you gold for seventeen hundred dollars an ounce. Trust me, and they're definitely not going to sell you silver for fifteen dollars an ounce. Trust me. What I'm trying to get at it is. Everything's fake, and that was the point of today's show. It's all fake. They've been faking everyone out for 50 years to not buy gold and to not buy silver. It's it's fake. Fake, fake, fake. Okay, well, this is a fake show, and it's a fake world, and I'm in a fake studio, and I'm on a fake microphone, and I'm going to read something from Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Page 30. The Voice in the Head. That first glimpse of awareness came to me when I was a first-year student at the University of London. I would take the subway twice a week to go to the university library, usually around 9 o'clock in the morning, toward the end of the rush hour. One time a woman in her early 30s sat opposite me. I had seen her before a few times on that tram. One could not help but notice her. Although the tram was full, the seats on either side of her were unoccupied, the reason being, no doubt, that she appeared to be quite insane. She looked extremely tense and talked to herself incessantly in a loud and angry voice. She was so absorbed in her thoughts that she was totally unaware, it seemed, of other people or her surroundings. Her head was facing downward and slightly to the left, as if she were addressing someone sitting in the empty seat next to her. Although I don't remember the precise content, her monologue went something like this, and then she said to me, so I said to her, you are a liar, how dare you accuse me of when you are the one who was always taking advantage of me. I trusted you and you betrayed my trust. There was the angry tone in her voice of someone who has been wronged, who needs to defend her position, lest she become annihilated. As the train approached Tottenham Court Road Station, she stood up and walked toward the door with still no break and the stream of words coming out of her mouth. That was my stop too, so I got off behind her. At street level, she began to walk toward Bedford Square, still engaged in her imaginary dialogue, still angrily accusing and asserting her position. My curiosity aroused. I decided to follow her as long as she was walking in the same general direction I had to go in. Although engrossed in her imaginary dialogue, she seemed to know where she was going. Soon we were within sight of an imposing structure of Senate House, a 1930s high-rise, the university's Central Administrative Building and Library. I was shocked. Was it possible that we were going to the same place? Yes, that's where she was heading. She was a teacher. Was she a teacher, a student, an office worker, a librarian? Maybe she was some psychologist research project. I never knew the answer. I walked 20 steps behind her, and by the time I entered the building, which ironically was the location of the headquarters of the Mind Police in the film version of George Orwell's novel 1984, She had already been swallowed up by one of the elevators. I was somewhat taken aback by what I had just witnessed. A mature first-year student at 25, I saw myself as an intellectual in the making, and I was convinced that all the answers to the dilemmas of human existence could be found through the intellect, that is to say, by thinking. I didn't realize yet that thinking without awareness is the main dilemma of human existence. I looked upon the professors as sages who had all the answers, and upon the university as the temple of knowledge. How could an insane person like her be part of this? I was still thinking about her when I was in the men's room prior to entering the library. As I was washing my hands, I thought, I hope I don't end up like her. The man next to me looked briefly in my direction, and I suddenly was shocked when I realized that I hadn't just thought those words but mumbled them aloud. Oh my God, I'm already like her, I thought. Wasn't my mind as incessantly active as hers? There were only minor differences between us. The predominant underlying emotion behind her thinking seemed to be anger. In my case, it was mostly anxiety. She thought out loud. I thought mostly in my head. If she was mad, then everyone was mad, including myself. There were differences in degree only. For a moment, I was able to stand back from my own mind and see it from a deeper perspective, as it were. There was a brief shift... From thinking to awareness, I was still in the men's room but alone now looking at my face in the mirror. At that moment of detachment from my mind, I laughed out loud. It may have sounded insane, but it was the laughter of sanity, the laughter of the big-bellied Buddha. Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out to be. That's what the laughter seemed to be saying. But it was only a glimpse, very quickly to be forgotten. I would spend the next three years in anxiety and depression completely identified with my mind. I had to get close to suicide before awareness returned, and then it was much more than a glimpse. I became free of compulsive thinking and of the false, mind-made I. The above incident not only gave me a first glimpse of awareness, it also planted the first doubt as to the absolute validity of the human intellect. A few months later, something tragic happened that made my doubt grow. On a Monday morning, we arrived for a lecture to be given by a professor whose mind I admired greatly, only to be told that sadly he had committed suicide sometime during the weekend by shooting himself. I was stunned. He was a highly respected teacher and seemed to have all the answers. However, I could as yet see no alternative to the cultivation of thought. I didn't realize yet that thinking is only a tiny aspect of the consciousness that we are. Nor did I know anything about the ego, let alone being able to detect it within myself. The egoic mind is completely conditioned by the past. Its conditioning is twofold. It consists of content and structure. In the case of a child who cries in deep suffering because his toy has been taken away, the toy represents content. It is interchangeable with any other content, any other toy or object. The content you identify with is conditioned by your environment, your upbringing, and surrounding culture. Whether the child is rich or poor, whether the toy is a piece of wood shaped like an animal or a sophisticated electronic gadget makes no difference as far as the suffering caused by its loss is concerned. The reason why such acute suffering occurs is concealed in the word my, and it is structural. The unconscious compulsion to enhance one's identity through association with an object is built into the very structure of the egoic mind. One of the most most basic mind structures through which the ego comes into existence is identification. The word identification is derived from the Latin word idem, meaning same, and facere, which means to make. So when I identify with something, I make it the same. The same as what? The same as I. I endow it with a sense of self, and so it becomes part of my, quote, identity. One of the most basic levels of identification is with things. My toy later becomes my car, my house, my clothes, and so on. I try to find myself in things but never quite make it and end up losing myself in them. That is the fate of the ego. The people in the advertising industry know very well that in order to sell things that people don't really need, they must convince them that those things will add something to how they see themselves or are seen by others. In other words, add something to their sense of self. They do this, for example, by telling you that you will stand out from the crowd by using this product, and so by implication, be more fully yourself, where they may create an association in your mind between the product and a famous person, or a youthful, attractive, or happy-looking person. Even pictures of older deceased celebrities in their prime work well for that purpose. The unspoken assumption is that by buying this product through some magical act of appropriation, You become like them, or rather the surface image of them. And in so many cases, you are not buying a product, but an identity enhancer. Designer labels are primarily collective identities that you buy into. They are expensive and therefore exclusive. If everybody could buy them, they would lose their psychological value, and all you would be left with would be their material value, which likely amounts to a fraction of what you paid. So, I'm running out of time here on Business Buzz today, but I did want to share that part of that great book. It's called uh, A New Earth and it's really interesting because I look back on all the things that I've kind of I've kind of been a collector and a bit of I've been accused of being a hoarder. And shows over. I will see you next time on Business Buzz. Take care. Have a nice week. KKXX Paradise,
2: K280GL Chico, and
0: K283AR Chico.
2: News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump visited an Arizona face mask factory Tuesday, using the trip to demonstrate his determination to see the country reopen, even as the coronavirus remains a dire threat. He encouraged the workers at the plant this afternoon. The
1: people of our country are warriors. With your help, we will vanquish the virus and build a future of greatness and glory with American heart, American hands, American pride, and American soul.
2: The president was accompanied by Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and GOP Senator Martha McSally. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy released a plan Monday to reopen the House amid the coronavirus pandemic. The top House Republican, along with Oklahoma Republican Tom Cole, who's a ranking member of the House Rules Committee, and Republican Rodney Davis of Illinois, offered four strategies as part of the plan. The Republicans said that the House should modify its existing practices and structures to allow the chamber to reconvene amid the pandemic. The Republicans also said physical distancing to reduce density in the House should be expanded. And they suggest assessing House office buildings and possibly creating temporary barriers like plexiglass dividers to help physical distancing in areas where it is difficult to achieve. Bernie Bennett in Washington. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is moving forward on the next coronavirus aid measure. The sweeping package is expected to be unveiled soon. Democrats are expected to propose another round of direct cash aid, funds for states and local governments to prevent layoffs and small business relief. Britain's become the first country in Europe to confirm more than 30,000 coronavirus deaths and infections rose sharply again in Russia. Some states in the U.S. are starting to lift lockdown restrictions that have put millions out of work and upended the global economy. China marked its third week with no new virus deaths while South Korea restarted its baseball season. On Wall Street, the doubt by 133 points. More on these stories at townhall.com.
1: This is Dennis Prager, and my friends, they're at it again. The left is doing its best to silence ideas it doesn't like. Hollywood does not want you to see my film, No Safe Spaces, which is why you won't see it on Netflix or Amazon Prime. But now you can watch No Safe Spaces for a limited time at nosafespaces.com.